Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have just to gather as uh, your body this morning, Lord, and just uh, come together, God, just expecting this morning uh, to hear from you whatever you would have for us this morning, Lord. And Father, I pray that we'd be able to just focus and fix our eyes upon you. We would have um, our hearts would just be good soil this morning that we would um, put the things aside that would come to try to to rob us from whatever um, would be your your design and your plan for us this morning, that um, nothing would, would vie from that God. And that, uh, Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have, and we do lift up our brothers and sisters around the world, Father, that don't have the freedom that we have to worship together um, openly, God, that you would, um, Father, just strengthen them, give them uh, great courage and boldness, Father, and may your gospel continue to go forth all throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you, God. And Father, your word says that if we submit ourselves first and foremost unto you and resist the enemy, he has to flee. We thank you, O God, that you are sovereign. We thank you, Father, that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We thank you, Father, that you are our strong tower. You've gone before us this day, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would focus and fix our gaze upon you. God, not looking to the right or to the left, not looking behind, but yet, Father, looking ahead with hope. That hope in you And our hope in you will never disappoint us, Father. So God, whatever we may be challenged with today, or God, whatever sin may be weighing us down, I pray, O oh God, as your word has said, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. God, may you fill us with hope and joy, perseverance, long-suffering, patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness and gentleness. Above all, Father, may we love. You have loved us, Father, first. So we thank you, God, that your love endures forever. We pray, O oh God, as we open your word, Father, that you would bless the reading of your word and that our hearts would be good soil to receive. Father, and that we would produce fruit. The fruit would be produced within us from your word. And that, God, that we would be not only hearers of it, but doers, advancing your kingdom for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Yvette's going to open up, actually, and share um, kind of what um, the Lord has kind of walked her through. And I want to encourage you all, as we're kind of going through um, this year and being challenged with Psalms 34, 14, you know, turning from evil, doing good, seeking for peace and working hard to maintain it you know challenging us with that each and every time we get together but i would actually love to hear you know how that is being applicable um in your life and how you're applying these truths so um yvette shared some with me this week and so um she's gonna um, share with us and then we're gonna get into exodus so yvette well, after those songs, man. <laughs> Rich Mullins is one of my favorites. I went to a concert to see him over at the Bob Carr. That's a long time ago. And the lights had gone out. And all the lines around the building. I had no idea who this man was. I never knew who he was. Randy, I think, had taken me. And uh, so we're all standing outside. There's nothing we can do. The electricity downtown went out. And so this guy pulls up a stool, a pair of shorts and t-shirt, barefoot. It looked like a hippie. Pulls up and says, well, we may as well kill some time while we're out here. And everybody was so elated. And I'm like, who is this? And so, and we had front row seats. And he ends up starting to play, just sitting there playing on acoustic and singing. And then all of a sudden, um, the lights come back on about 20 minutes later. And we all go in. And <laughs> all of us, Randy and all of us from the church are sitting up front. And, of course, I'm just kind of standing there looking at this guy like, who are you? you know, who is it? He's good, but, man, I can't imagine what the other guy's going to be like. He gets up on stage, he looks at me, all winks, and just starts crying. And I'm like, oh. 
my gosh, that was him. Cut off shorts. You yeah. weren't with us, were you? No. no. It was right. It was before you, you before you, you know. It was when I was just starting to no. get it because I never knew there was Christian music. And he just got up there and he knew. And Randy was a musician, and Randy knew him, so he played right along with it. Because I'm just kind of standing there like I always do as a cop with my arms crossed. And sure enough, and he just kind of got up there, sat on the same stool, pulled out the acoustic, but he had a dulcimer. And he had the dulcimer sitting in front of him. And he just kind of looked down and winked and smiled and just kept on playing. I'm like, that's the musician. <laughs> that's but hilarious. he was an incredible man. Yeah, and uh, when he passed, it was almost like some something in me had passed, too, when he was killed. And it was just weird because that's the, that's the way he was. Um, the other day... Um, Give me just a second. Sheila and Doreen were doing devotionals. And they had to kind of like rope me in to go do devotionals with them. I said, no, no, I don't have time. I don't have time. I have to go do this, 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 and this. I have so much to do. And, you know, Rob knows I put the running shoes on and then I just take off because I just don't have time. You know, and it's not that I don't have time for God. It's just... I have to keep busy. And so they kind of wrote me in, and we were sitting there talking, we're doing devotions. Doreen read hers, and she read hers, and then I read what had been sent to me. And I said, well, that's interesting. Let me read something to you. So I read what was sent to me, and I'm going to read it to you guys. And I want you to really think about this, because the days that we're living in, the kids who are disrespecting their parents, the parents who, you know, we have to start getting right with the game here we really got to start getting in the game right um my daughter and i've had the conversation um we all are going to answer in that and so when when this was sent to me it's called now and i want you to really think listen to this now it kind of takes me a minute to get through it because it's on my phone <laughs> so it says teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom that's psalms 90 12 and i just hit it with my finger um so it says here, now. In this world, now is about all the time we have for certain. Consider this. During our time in this world, we have tomorrow. Do we? Maybe. Maybe not. We will have at least one more hour. Maybe. Maybe not. One more minute. You get the point. Can we go back and redo yesterday? Oh, if only wishing made it so. None of us has promised one moment beyond now. Yet we spend an awful lot of time wishing we could do some things from yesterday differently or worrying about tomorrow when now is really all we ever have. So what we do with the now we are given is important. Now is the one point in time we are given to make an impact. A dear friend recently told me a story. Let me do it again. Um, Hold on just a second. I'm sorry, my phone's just acting silly. A dear friend recently told me a story about a friend of his. This friend was a was driving home from the office when he got got caught up in unexpected traffic jams. You ever been in a traffic jam? Just really get ticked off. Soon be re he realized that he would be late for the plans he and his bride had made for his bride had made for the evening. Always wanting to see something positive in every situation, that man viewed the traffic jam not as a burden, but as a chance to catch up with his family and friends. So for an hour, while stuck in traffic, he spoke with his bride, his two married daughters, and his son at college. He spoke with a friend he hadn't connected with 
and sometime and with his pastor who really needed a bit of encouragement. A few minutes after his last phone call, while still in the traffic, he suffered a fatal heart attack. In the last hour of his life, he left unforgettable memories in the lives of those he loved. Thanks to a traffic jam, most of us would have viewed as a forgettable inconvenience. When will you and I do, what will you, I'm sorry, what will you and I do with our now? Will we spend too much time thinking about how we can change the things of yesterday? Wonder and worry about what may happen tomorrow? Complain about the quote unquote traffic jams in our lives? None, none of that would be anything but a waste of time we have left today and of any time we may receive in the rest of our tomorrows. Now is what we've been given, whether spending it with family or friends, at the office or at home, now is ours. Whether at a ball game or in the traffic jam, what will be the memories we leave? In the midst of the traffic jams in which we may find yourself, look for the opportunities to present, to impact the lives of others around you. Imagine the legacy you will leave if you live today as if it were the only day you had left. Imagine the impact you can have today now. So we only can control what's now. So that after I left there, I had to go to physical therapy and Doreen and them were like, okay, you want to come out? No, no, no. But I kind of, we did our devotional and I did my 15, 20 minutes and then zipped out of there, went to PT. I didn't have to be at physical therapy till 2.45. I was aggravated, did some running around, took care of pop, did what I needed to do. Went to Publix, got a bottle of water and I was not going to physical therapy. I was like, I'm not going to physical therapy. This is a waste of time. I'm tired of sitting here. I've got two more hours. So I sat in the public's parking lot and read a book. Just a magazine I had got off the shelf. Killing time, killing time. Two o'clock rolled around and I walked. I said, you know what? I'm going there at two. I'm not waiting until 2.45. This is stupid. I'm going to go there at two when they open. And I'm going to say, look, I can either do it now or we're not going to do it. And I walked in and they were like, hey, hey, buddy, yeah, come on in. You know, go do your stuff. I do my things. And Crystal is one of the girls there. She has a tat on her neck, you know, and that she's so sweet. Neatest girl you ever want to meet. Cute as a bug. Um, been with her boyfriend for about five years, four or five years now. So we're talking and they have a son that is a little disabled. And I always ask about the baby. I always call him the baby. And uh, she's like, you know, we're talking and she's doing my trigger point. She's making me hurt. And then all of a sudden I said, I said, hey, I said, how's the baby doing? And he's eight years old so he's not a baby baby at the age of two he started having seizures they thought he was epileptic around four or five he started losing his sight and his motor skills about six or seven he was completely in a wheelchair they have to suction him out through his nose his throat all over the place they have to lay him down they have to change diapers have to do with that and she said oh i didn't tell you she said he died last week mm. and i was like oh and I'm thinking to myself, well, what do you do with this? This woman who has so much joy, this young girl, she's 35, that's not her child, it's her boyfriend's child, has so much joy. And yet, she's not a believer. She knows God. She, you know, I told Rob and them, she's not a you know, Christian, but she knows I pray for them and that. And she said, oh, yeah, she goes, you know, the week before he started having a problem I took him out I had to start working on him and his dad was in the shower and I'm like Lord please you know she's I'm thinking she says she goes no no I'm just saying come on baby come on baby and I'm rubbing his chest and he comes out of it she doesn't tell Chris because she doesn't want him to worry he goes to his mother's house his paternal mom's house she ends up having the ambulance to the hospital and he passes 
And all of this, I was so aggravated because I didn't want to go to physical therapy. Now, there's some of us in here that are dealing with family and friends that have passed. Tim just lost his mother, who just lost his father last year. Um, in 14, I lost, what, 10 people in one year? Family members, you know, a child and all this other nonsense type thing. And I'm thinking to myself, God, you said now. I just read this. We just did the devotional, and I had such a weird mentality when I left there. And it's like, what are you going to do with the now? And I thought, this woman has so much joy. And she's like, no, we're going to have the service. He can't handle it, so she's putting it together. And I'm like, this was my now. And because I just left a, <laughs> a devotional earlier, and I was so stressed out not wanting that interruption... God's like, I have to put you in this interruption with that. She needs to see God now. And so she's preparing everything. The baby will be buried next weekend. Um, she bought a beautiful urn. And I'm thinking, is that what this is about? I, you know, I was stressed out. I needed to get things done. But I needed to take time now just to reach this one young girl who I don't know if she'll ever. She has two moms. Not a dad and a mom. Two moms. Um... She has such an incredible outlook on life. She knows that they will probably never have children, and they're okay with that. But you you never hear any, she says, and I asked her, I said, you know, basically I was telling Robin them, I said, and, and Carrie, I said, you know, it, it was just the fight of wanting to go there. And even though I went early, they accepted me early, 45 minutes early. They're on a tight schedule. They open at 2 and they close at 6. And they have to have this schedule, but because Yvette was all about herself, and wanted it now. I wanted my stuff now. I didn't care about theirs. Until she said that. And I thought, how many times have I missed the opportunity to make an impression? I mean, I can only talk to the young people. Have you ever called your mom names under your breath or behind your back? you ever looked at your mom and say you're such an idiot? you ever sat there and said, and I could say for myself because I have a mother still, um, you, ever, you better stop and think about it. Because all of our words... He hears. And the now is what we got to be in. It, it's, it's so weird because 12-step programs say that too. You can't change what happened back here, and you can't see what's going to happen in the future. You can only live in the now. And it just kind of hit me <laughs> that someone who's not a believer had so much joy, even in the death of a child that this girl has had since she was, the baby was four years old. She's taking care of this man's son that she has been with, and yet she's taking care of the funeral arrangements and everything because he can't handle it. The mother is in distress. They took the mother out last night just to get some dinner. They're not the best of friends, but they lost a child together, and she's living the now. And I just encourage you to think about when you do devotions together, and it's funny because I came back in and she had gone through some craziness that day. She had gone through and it was like, it was like we leave this devotion and the attacks were just hammering us all around. And yet we get through it because we can be transparent, you know, and say, hey, look, this is what I'm going. She didn't sit there and say that, you know, she didn't say, what are you doing? She just said, stop, just sit down and have a devotional. Doreen's like, oh, you know, she read first and then she read. And then I, they gave me the space to just go. She's off and running again, but that's okay. She took a couple of minutes. I'm asking you guys to think about what you say. If somebody's influencing you, stop it. If the enemy is influencing you, stop it. Stop in a moment and say, look, 
Lord, I'm in the now. What do I need to do? Encourage. Because somebody doesn't do something your way, don't beat them down. If your mom or your dad is doing something, you, know, you have no right to sit there. You're only to take care of yourself. In this one thing that I read, Robert Kiyosh, Kiyosaki from Rich Dad, Poor Dad had said, um, this gentleman actually wrote that, that you cannot change anybody else, but you can change you and your circumstances. So think about what you're doing. Think about this. Because we don't have this. An eight-year-old child died. You know, friends of ours are passing. Our parents are going to pass. And I'll leave you with this. When that thing collapsed in Miami, that 17-year-old girl walking across going to college didn't expect to die that day. The cars underneath were flattened. They took the cars to the ME's office. They didn't take the people out. They literally took the whole car after they got the concrete off and took it to the ME's office because they have to still do a positive ID. None of those people sitting at that traffic light was expecting that to happen. And yet we're gonna run off at the mouth and we're gonna sit there and be disrespectful or backbite or say something or be disrespectful. And I'm telling you, your parents, you had better watch it because we are living in a day that when we disrespect our parents, it's gonna come back on us. You have got to stop. You just need to repent. You can go to them, do whatever you want. But I am not saying this because there's teenage girls in the room or because I am an adult child and I get frustrated with my mom and with Pop and everybody else that I take care of because it's like I just want a life. I just want me. But that's not where he has me right now. He has me right now, in the now. What are you doing to change that? What are you doing to make a difference in someone's life? Crystal made a difference in my life. I didn't make a difference in hers. She was okay. It was me who walked out there going, oh my God, I was so frightened you'd go over here and you needed me to be there just to hear that the baby had died and just to let her know, hey, whatever you need, call me or text me. Here's my number. I thought she had it and she didn't. She goes, no, man, I will text you and let you know when, you're, when I get numb and stuff and if I just need to vent. But she was fine. She brought the joy into my life. These two ladies brought the joy the moment they could rope me in and sit me down long enough for that few minutes in the morning. Spending time with her and, and Sheila has really been positive. It's got me motivated. Yesterday, Sheila probably wasn't feeling well, but she did everything she could to clean, and it gave me motivation to get that garage emptied out. They don't judge me because of the farm. They don't look at me like I'm some sort of weirdo. They love me right where I'm at right now because they know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I just need to have somebody to be there and to bear me up. And that's what this is about. Tearing someone down. When you walk out of here, if you're not changed when you leave here, then it was for naught. It was for naught. It does not make a bit of difference what you heard Rob say, what the Lord is impressed with. You walk out of here the same person you were when you walked in those doors, and it's for naught. You've got to stop and think about what we're doing here. Because I'm going to tell you, Crystal has no idea. I wrote her a little letter and a card. And told her straight up. The vet over there, and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll leave it at this. The vet that took care of Minka when she was dying, I had no money. This is the most one of the most nicest vets, and she knows she's gone. And they are not cheap. She said, Yvette, I'm not going to let this we, We'll take care of her, and we'll do this. This was two years ago, I think, or maybe three when the babies were born. And she took care of it, never expecting anything. Now I walked in there, and I could say, hey, can I get some medicine for Alamosis? Can I do this because I'm on a budget? And can I do this? Because she helped me get on the budget. 
She doesn't know how much she affected my life that day she sat with me and said, do this, this, and this. I can't just go out there and spend money like wild, especially on an animal. It's $500. But that vet knew eventually she's going to be okay. And I wrote her the letter saying, thank you so much for taking care of something that I could not even afford to take care of. They didn't look at me weird. We have no right to point fingers. We have no right. Norma sends the songs that she sends right at the right time, not knowing. And they're Spanish sometimes, and it's like, look, but it resonates. It doesn't matter. You know, Rob will send things. Gilda will send things. You know, I think about you guys and pray for y'all. My daughter, you know, sent, bought me a shirt last week. I still have it in the bag. I won't put it on because I'm like, ah, my daughter bought me a shirt. This is the most beautiful shirt I've seen in a long time. I will find the right leggings or she'll probably have to take me. It's the little things, but it's the little things that come out your mouth, out of my mouth, that can, whether they hear me or not, tear them down in the spiritual realm. I don't have to say it to Rob's face. You know, you're such a jerk. He's such an idiot. It's the spiritual realm that it goes into. And the Satan's going, yeah, he is an idiot, isn't he? And where two or more are together in agreement. Let me tell you, man, spiritual realm is really weird. These people lift us up. And I have been known to backbite and say things and do things and that. We all have. But repentance is all you have to do. But you live in the now. I'm telling you, man, live in the now. This is the most profound thing I've seen other than that letter that I'm emailing you. Is the most profound thing I've seen. And Crystal has changed my life. So has that little boy who died. That maybe one day I will see when I get to heaven. Because he's up there with his man. I think Mammy is what she called Mammal or something like that. But that little boy changed my life too. But I never met that kid. All I saw him was in the wheelchair. I saw him from two, playing and running, romping, to when he's in the wheelchair like this, and all curled up and stretched in like that in five years. We never know if something's gonna fall on us huge or if it's gonna be. It's the little things. We think we're in this bubble like we talked about. But if it's fractured, little things drip in, and then there's a big, huge drop. So, I just leave y'all with that. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah, thank you. The now. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. We have right now. And I would just encourage you to be good stewards of, of the now. In your relationships, first and foremost with God, and then with each other, and then with others. Encouraging people, building them up, not tearing them down, and serving people. Ultimately, Jesus came to serve. And if you're a follower of Christ then that's what you're doing. You're serving. You're loving others. Let's go to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to read through chapter 7 today. Get ready. Get ready. We're going to miss half of chapter 6, though, but I'll tell you about that in a little bit. All right, but chapter 5, verse 25. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, He has been even more brutal to your people. And you have done nothing to rescue them. 
Yeah, he started in 22. You said 25. Oh, I'm sorry, 22. But there is no 25. There is no 25. <laughs> you got the room confused. There you go, Norma. It was from earlier, like, oh, wait, wait. Just out of my body. Yeah. 22. Chapter 5, verse 22. Moses. And if we remember a few verses up, Pharaoh became really brutal and harsh on the Israelites, forcing them even to work harder than before. And remember, the Israelite foreman came to Moses in verse 21. <laughs> the foreman said to them, May the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands an excuse to kill us. So here's the question for us in our opening this morning. Who are you listening to? We're going to see as we go through studying the Israelites, God's people, this nation that God has formed for a purpose. Remember, God has a purpose for all that he does. He's bringing the Messiah through this nation. Ultimately, Jesus, the Messiah, to redeem mankind. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But we're going to see that through these people, they are murmuring, complaining, fault-finding, grumbling type of people. Constant issues. They're no different than us. But oh, we can learn from them. And you see that they came and they challenged Moses because of their circumstances were too hard for them. At first they believed Moses. If you remember when Moses came and shared with them what God has called him to do and that he encouraged them saying that God has heard your cries. You remember their position? They bowed down. They received what God was saying. In that moment, God was God. But as soon as it became hard, as soon as life began to press down on them, now he's not God. In fact, why have you messed up my life? Things are getting harder on me now. And Moses, look what you've done. And all of a sudden, Moses is taking all of this in and Moses becomes discouraged. And Moses, the call on Moses' life begins to be questioned. Moses doesn't even know now. So we find here as we open up, Moses goes back to the Lord. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people? Why did you send me ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman? He has been even more brutal to your people. And you have done nothing to rescue them. It's interesting what we, how we view God when he doesn't move in our time. Think about that. It's interesting how we view God when he doesn't move when we think he should move. When he doesn't open the door, when he doesn't make provision, when he doesn't do this or he doesn't do that. See, God's time is perfect because God is sovereign. And if we can just get to that understanding and make that a foundation in our life that God is faithful to what he has purposed. 
And he doesn't work on our time. No, he works within his time because he knows the plans that he has for us. He knows what is before you. He knows what you're going to face today, what you're going to face tomorrow. He is for you and not against you. And yet, we demand of him because we don't see him for truly who he is. We ought to have a respect for God. Not demanding of him, but honoring him. Trusting in him. If your foundation is in Christ and you're trusting him with everything that you have, you can understand that he is going to get you through. Even if it doesn't look like he is. Because sometimes he has to walk us through the deepest valley to get us through the other side. And he walks us through that valley to mature us, to grow us. He is more concerned about your character than your provision. Oh, he'll provide for you. But he is more concerned about your character and you representing him to a dying world. And so he allows us to go through. God hadn't, God's mission here didn't stop. God didn't forget what he was doing. God didn't take a break. No, God's plan is still in effect. And he's working everything out for ultimately that the nations around his people will become, know that he's God. They will experience his glory. They will experience his power. And like, we, like I've said before, as we go through the Old Testament, we're going to see that. These other godless nations will respect the God of the Israelites. They will recognize him. They won't follow him, but they will recognize him. That's so much about the people. It's all about God. And as it is with us, it's not about us. We're not pointing people to us. We're pointing people to Jesus. They should see Jesus within us. They should see a character being a built up within us. They should see someone different. We once were this way, now we're this way. We're following Christ. We're an example of Christ to others. Loving them, encouraging them, edifying them, building them up. Showing compassion. Being an expression of joy. It is sad that you can look at the lost, and a lot of the lost have more joy and more peace than those who are sitting in the church as Christians. They're putting principles in action day in and day out. But the sad thing is, is that they don't have the, the eternal hope that's only found in Christ. And that's why we as Christians ought to be different. We ought to be transparent before God and before others. We ought to be sharing the gospel, sharing the hope that is found in Christ, sharing where the true joy comes from, the true hope comes from, because it's only found in Him. You can have the temporalness of joy. You can have the temporalness of hope. There's a lot of unsaved people who have hope and things to come. But our hope is in Christ. And that hope is the only hope that will never disappoint. 
Moses finds himself standing before God after God has already explained to Moses in the beginning what God was going to do. God wasn't moving. And in the timing that his people thought it should be done, nor in the timing that Moses thought it should be done. But God has not given up. In fact, God responds to Moses in chapter 6. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. Moses is getting a clear understanding of who God is. He's learning the name of God. God brought revelation to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He appeared to them, but he did not reveal his name to them. Moses is receiving this revelation. Yahweh the Lord, El Shaddai, God Almighty. He goes on and says here, And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptian, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. This is God speaking, you all. Listen to these words that he is saying. I remember. He didn't forget. He knows what he's doing. He knows what needs to come about. Then and even now, in your life, in our lives, it's covenant. Especially if you're sitting here today and you are a believer. You've given your, your heart and your life to Christ. You've been engrafted into his kingdom. You've been adopted as his own. You've been given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. And if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, then he brought you here today so that you would get to know him because he's calling you to himself. He is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a God full of love. Remember, his will is that none should perish. His will is that you would not experience his wrath, but that you would receive his love. And in receiving his love, that you will be engrafted into his family. This beautiful picture of adoption, this beautiful picture of intimacy with God himself, the author of life, the creator of all things. He's just not a good story in a book. Like he's God, you all. He's God. And he's transforming lives. 
as he did then, so he is now, and so he'll continue to do until the day that he returns. And listen to what he says here. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. God frees his people. These people were enslaved to the Egyptians. And just like every man and woman who who is born, we are born as sinners. We are enslaved to sin. We are held captive and we are in bondage to the temporal desires that are within our sinful, natural selves. And God knows our condition. That's why God sent Jesus Jesus is ultimately the great deliverer. He frees his people from the oppression of sin. He frees us to live a life in the fullness of who Christ is. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and the abundance. But it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I want to encourage you, and years ago I did this. I did a sermon. We walked from um, Genesis all the way through Revelation because you'll see the constant theme of God's purpose and plan is that he will have a people who he will call his own and they will call him their God. And here we see it, yet he says, I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you. And I would encourage you, if you're having issues with oppression, if you're having issues with discouragement, if you're having issues with sin, then take that verse and get it before you this week. Verse 7. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you. Only God can free you. You can't free yourself. No matter how hard you try, no matter what steps you put into place, no matter what you think you can do and what you can't do, because it has nothing to do with you. Your freedom only comes through Christ. Your freedom only comes because God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. And Romans 5, 1 says, it's only through Christ that we have peace with God. We're no longer an enemy of God. We're no longer living for self. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer having Pharaoh breathing down our necks. No, we're liberated. We're free. And all along, and as we're reading through this, I want you to hear God's heart for his people I want you to get a revelation of his mercy that's being extended, that's being offered to his people. You will not face my judgment. Like I'm offering you mercy day in and day out. Will you not receive it to receive his mercy? Not his wrath, not his judgment. He goes on here in verse 8. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. What a beautiful... This is God speaking, you all. And then Moses... So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord has said. I want you to hear the response. But they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Do you know what's wrong with people in this generation? It's the same as it was back then, what we just read. People are refusing to listen anymore. Life is too hard. Who cares about God? I don't care what he's saying. They got a bad attitude. God's the problem. Now listen. They have become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Careful. Because when life is handing you a bunch of junk and pressing up against you and you allow discouragement to set in, it's going to be so hard to hear truth. Because it's all going to be about me, myself, and I. My poor life. What I don't have. What I wish I had. Oh, my circumstances. They suck. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this. I don't have that. I can't do this. I can't do that. Life is all so... And how sad. How sad. You've taken your eyes off of God and you've placed it upon yourself. And yet all along as God is saying, would you look at me? Would you get to know me? Will you see me for who I am? I am God. I am El Shaddai. Lord Almighty. I am God. I can, I'm, I'm bringing you through this. Will you trust me? And the people are hardened. Life has gotten hard. And yet they've all, life has always been hard on them. They've been enslaved. But life has gotten harder. And now God shows up, and they don't want to listen. No matter how much he's trying to comfort them, no matter how much he's extending his mercy to them, they're hardened. And I want you to remember that verse. But they refuse to listen anymore. They have become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But the Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I am such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses has seen everything going wrong, you all, in his calling. (laughs) The people who were once celebrating, God has heard their cries, God has sent a deliverer, they're now rejecting God, they're rejecting Moses. And the very one that God has called Moses to confront Pharaoh is not even listening. Nothing is going right. But God is reminding Moses, keep your eyes on me. This is what I'm going to do. Are your eyes on God, you all? 
Are you backed up against the wall? Is the enemy breathing down your neck? Then focus your eyes on Christ. Be grateful. Be thankful. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Don't have a foul mouth and a negative mind. Don't let your heart grow so discouraged. No. Get to know your God. Remind yourself of who He is and what His promises are. And if you don't know His promises, seek Him. Because the Bible says if you seek Him, you'll find Him. If you seek Him with your whole heart. And God has not given up on what God has purposed because it seems like Moses has given up. He tells him to go. And sometimes that's all we need to hear. Just keep moving forward. Just keep going after what God has has promised. Keep going after what he has called you to. Keep allowing him to, to refine your character. Keep allowing him to do and to bring about what he is purposing in your life. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how hard it's getting. It doesn't matter how others are responding to it. No, you just keep going. So if you hear anything today... Go. (laughs) Just keep pressing in. Jesus, it's all you. I'm going to keep going after what you've called me to. Don't give up. That's why the Bible tells you, don't grow weary in doing good. For in the right time, in the right moment, you will reap a harvest. And trust me, as someone who battles with discouragement, how easy it is to kind of just want to throw your hands up, I know that feeling. But every time as God spoke then, he speaks now, go. Keep pressing in. Don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry about how they're responding. Focus on me. So many times we we look at what what we're doing and we're looking at others and, and we're expecting this and we're expecting that. But our expectation should not be in the response of people. Our expectation should not be in the change of our circumstances. Your expectation, and I've learned this and I'm learning it, can only be found in Christ. Just expect from Him. That's why it's so important that you're growing up as a Christian. And you're learning of him, and you're knowing him even more. So he tells them to go. And then we're seeing verse 16 through 25. The ancestors of Moses and Aaron. And we've talked a lot, well, talked some about the Old Testament. They love their genealogy. They love to list everyone and anyone. There's a point to it. They were real big on capturing all this information. Because it's important too to remind the people of who these people were. And Moses and Aaron, these are their ancestors. And I'm not going to butcher their names. So these are the names through 16, 14 through 25 are the names. It's the genealogy. It's pointing back and affirming Moses and Aaron as leaders in Israel, and who they were connected with. So we pick up in verse 26, the Aaron and Moses named in the list are the same ones whom the Lord said, 
lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. So just in case there was any question or any doubt, who was Aaron and Moses, the genealogy was captured. And the people of God were, were, affirmed, were reaffirmed with the understanding that you can rest assured that these are who these two men are, and they were called of God. It was Moses and Aaron who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I'm telling you. But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm such a clumsy speaker. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command of you. And Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Do you see God's purpose there? God is hardening Pharaoh's heart is making it even more stubborn. And the reason why? So I, God, can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my, I'm sorry, then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He's making himself known. Time and time again, he's he's extending mercy. Mercy. And when people do not receive God's mercy, then all they're left with is God's judgment. Let that sit in with us today. Are you running from God? Are you turning from God? Are you continuing going your way? Because day in and day out, His mercies are new what? Every morning. Every morning. Every morning, throughout the day, God's mercy is afresh and anew. God's mercy, His compassion, His loving kindness. It's His mercy instead of His judgment. If you would just receive what He's freely given. Mercy. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. And I love the fact 
that God is continuing to tell Moses, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And the more that he's doing it, Moses' eyes are getting off of Moses. Moses can have all the excuses not to go in and of himself. But the more that God is revealing to Moses who he is, what he's doing, what he's about, ultimately what is going to take place, Moses is finding encouragement because that's the only way he can go. So God himself is encouraging Moses. And so now this great challenge in Moses' life is being confronted with ultimately who God is. And that's the same with us. What's keeping you from going? It's you. What's keeping you from what God has purposed for your life? It's you. If we would just focus on God and be encouraged in Christ, each step would get easier as we go. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. I love this picture of obedience. As you go, obey. As you go, obey. As you take a step, obey. Know your God. Live for your God. Obey your God. Allow Him to transform your mind and your life. The Bible says, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. So as you go, obey. And so now we see Moses and Aaron going, and now they are obeying because Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called his own wise men as sorcerers, and these Egyptian, magi- I mean, Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. Did you imagine the scene? Standing in the court of Pharaoh, demanding of Pharaoh, God has sent me. Let God's people go. Pharaoh demands a sign. Aaron throws down the staff. It turns into a snake. And Pharaoh's not even impressed by it. He calls his magicians. And they do the same thing. We've got to be careful. got to be careful. That we're not swayed by the enemy. Gotta be careful. The Bible is very clear. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers, with principalities, in the air and the darkness. There's a spiritual realm that we cannot see, and yet we're enticed by. And a lot of us, if we're not in Christ, We are lured by the new age, by the false gospels. We're lured by things we hear and things we see. Why do you think the occult movies, why do you think the occult practices really lure in people? They see. Like when I was in the occult, I saw things. And as I saw, I believed. careful careful don't let darkness fool you and I saw this one movie I don't know which movie it was that that, that had this scene in it 
And even in this quote-unquote Christian movie, they didn't take darkness serious. The way they showed Pharaoh's magicians doing this act was they had a basket of snakes over here, and so they just kicked it over. And then it looked like the snakes came out from their magic. That's not what happened. They used their magic. It's a spiritual battle taking place. They used their magic. And they did the same thing that Aaron did. But I want you to look at this. <laughs> they threw down their staffs, which, was, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. That's an incredible picture, you all. Darkness cannot overtake light. So it doesn't matter how the trickery of the enemy can never outdo God's power. God's power always swallows up what the enemy is trying to display. So who are you putting your hope in? Ought to be in Christ. There's no greater power. I remember when I was doing street ministry and I was ministering to the youth who were caught up in the occult and encouraging them about the power of God. That you think you actually know power. You don't know power. Like in fact, who you are putting your hope in and all your chanting and all your other spells and everything that you want to do It's such a lesser power. It may seem great, but it's actually less. Because the greatest power is found in God. In God alone. Do you know him? So we can't be swayed by the tricks of the enemy. God will always swallow it up. Darkness cannot overtake light, you all. We have to believe it. We have to understand it. Because things are going to be brought our way to try to entice us to think that our God is less than who He is. But we must remember that He's a great God. He's a great God. So Aaron's staff swallowed him up. But look at verse 13. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. Oh, God's not finished with Pharaoh. God's not finished, because ultimately remember what God says. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. By the time I finish with them, they will know that I am the Lord. He keeps saying over and over, I'm freeing my people, I'm liberating my people. But in the process of liberating them, they're going to have to go through because ultimately my main purpose as well is to reveal myself to the Egyptians. They're going to know who I am. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn and he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. 
Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announce to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, Let my people go, so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now you have refused to listen to him. I can only imagine. Pharaoh's just trying to go about his day. And Moses keeps showing up. I'm sure he was becoming an irritant to Pharaoh. Because remember, Pharaoh himself sees himself as a god. And here's Moses, constantly showing up, demanding of him. And yet, each and every single time he shows up, he's given him an opportunity. Let God's people go. A beautiful picture. He's given the opportunity, and yet, he still refuses to listen. His heart is being hardened even more. God himself is moving in the midst of all of this. And now we're finding himself at the Nile River. And he, Moses announces to him, the God of the Hebrews has sent me yet again to tell you that my people go. So this is what the Lord says, verse 17, I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with the staff in my hand and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the, Moses said, and then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, ponds, and all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood, even the water stored in the wooden, wooden bowls and stone pots. So Moses, says Aaron, Moses and Aaron just did just as the Lord commanded them. As Pharaoh and all of his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river water, water of the Nile, I'm sorry, suddenly the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they, too, turned water into blood. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. How on earth could he put it out of his mind? I mean, water is, is the source of life. <laughs> Every ounce of it and drop of it that was flowing and are held in, in the, in the um, pots and, and these clay pots and these wooden barrels. It's all blood. But his heart was hardened still. His musicians were still to do the same thing. But yet he puts it out of his mind. And isn't that something to think about? I don't know if you give thought to it. 
I gave, I gave thought to it. Like you're seeing all of this calamity taking place. And yet, you're not even moved. What a place of despair. He put it out of his mind. Instead of recognizing and seeing it, do you know why we stay discouraged? Do you know why we stay in defeat? Because we're putting things out of our mind. You ought to start giving thought to things, you all. You ought to start looking at your choices, looking at your decisions. You ought to start looking at things in your life and giving thought to it. Just don't let it run out of your mind. Just don't put it aside. Give thought to it. Seek for wisdom. Seek for counsel. Give thought to the things that are happening in your life. Because if you're not giving thought, your heart's going to get hardened even more. You're going to be more enticed by the trickery of the enemy than you are by the love of God. Give thought. Verse 24 says, Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find drinking water, for they couldn't drink the water from the Nile. They're struggling just for a source of life. What used to be easy for them just to go to the river or go to their pots, go to the barrels and get water. Now they're struggling for it. And as it is a picture for us, apart from God, we're struggling through life, you all. We're digging up and digging into everything and anything that we think can satisfy us. But ultimately, it's only Christ who can satisfy us. It's ultimately Christ who makes us whole. Remember what Jesus says, peace I leave you, peace I give you. Nothing missing, nothing broken. How are you living? Are you living out of your brokenness? Or are you living out of what Christ has given you? Are, you? are you drinking from the living water? Jesus says he offers that to us so that he can quench that thirst that's deep within, that people are longing for in life. And so we're searching everywhere for it. And yet Jesus himself is like, but I'm here. Why do you keep going to everyone else and anything else? I am here. I am your source. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Find your rest. Find your hope in me. Don't live from the temporalness of this life because everything you're seeing is fading. All of this. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Even your hopes of the relationships that you're seeking after. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And then what? And then what? So your hope has to be rooted in Christ. Because He is the author of life. The giver of life. I would encourage you to go back to these scriptures. See God for who he is and what he is doing through all of this, how he's revealing himself. And remember what I encourage you to remember through this portion of scripture. Go. Go and obey. And we've talked about that before. Don't stop. Don't give up. No matter your circumstances, no matter what your life is all about, get up and go towards God. 
Go to what he's calling you to and obey. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Make sure I say the verses right. Chapter 18, verse 23, and then through chapter 19, verse 12. We left off last week in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not even seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Basically, continual. There's no set how many times. Listen, y'all, forgiving others is vital to a, a productive life. If you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, you're enslaved. You're like the Israelites, <laughs> enslaved under a hard oppressor. And nothing will come good from it except bitterness and anger and rage and manipulation. I mean, you name it. You have unforgiveness in your heart. Your life is full of just rottenness. Just rotten. To the core. Nothing good can come from it. And then Jesus goes on, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Another picture of mercy, you all. This man owed a lot of money to his master. And his master had every right to not just deal with him, but with his family and everything else. And yet he pleaded, and his debt was forgiven. Could you imagine being released from that type of debt? You ought to, especially if you're a Christian. Because you've been released from the debt that needed to be paid because of your sinful ways. Jesus paid the price for you. He took your punishment. Jesus did. You were freed. Remember Romans 5, 1, Now therefore you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. You're at peace with God if you're a believer in Christ. He who the Son sets free is still in debt to God. No. It's free indeed. That's the hope in Scripture. That's why it's so important to read the Word of God so you can get the fullness of the Word of God. It's alive and active. It brings about a change of your heart and of your mind. You're being transformed. Like his debt was forgiven. Could you imagine? And Jesus is using this illustration of, of, of money, if you would. The man owed millions and millions of dollars to his master. 
He was in deep debt. Have you ever been in financial despair? You know what it is to be in debt and the stress that comes from it? But could you imagine if someone came along and paid your debt? You would be ecstatic. In verse 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. This is the same man who was just forgiven of his debt. And now he sees someone on the street who owes him money. And he doesn't extend mercy to the man. He has him thrown in jail. You've heard me say it time and time and time and time again. What you receive, freely give. Like what you receive from God, freely give to others. You receive his forgiveness, you forgive. You receive his love, you love. You receive his grace, you extend grace to others. What you freely receive from God, freely give. This man was just released from this huge debt. And yet he sees someone that owes him something, and now he's snatching him up, demanding of him, and would not even listen to the man's pleas for help. Some of the other servants saw this. They were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent this man to prison to be tormented until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Listen, that's Jesus' words. Did you hear how he ended his illustration? That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Not just a pretend type of forgiveness. Oh, I forgive you and then behind their backs, uh, run your mouth about them. Bring it up to everybody, what they owe you. Come on, you all. The Christian life can be lived. The Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. If you're a Christian, then you should act godly. You should be growing in your knowledge of God and maturing as a Christian. And if you're still harboring unforgiveness in your heart, God have mercy on you. God have mercy on you. You want to know if you still have unforgiveness in your heart? Listen to the words coming out of your mouth. Listen to the thoughts that are running through your head about what others owe you. <laughs> and I'm just not talking about money. <laughs> How do you look at others who had done you wrong? No, Jesus is forgiving you. You would never pay the price that he paid. And he causes, he causes to forgive. To forgive. 
It's vital. Lest you remain tormented. He said, you evil servant. <clears throat> evil servant. That servant should have left the presence of his master and went about and told everyone what the master did. Such grace and mercy bestowed upon me. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. Who have you told about Christ this past week? Or have you just told others about your problems? Who have you shared the good news with? I've been set free. I've been forgiven. Jesus. Or have we just run our mouths murmuring, complaining with others? Come on. Have you been an example of Jesus? Because you ought to be. No matter what your level Rather, you're still wet behind the ears as a Christian or a senior saint. It doesn't matter where you're at. You should remember that Christ has set you free. You have the good news of sharing with others who are held captive and enslaved to bondage. And you have the right now, because you've been given it through Christ, to share the good news. Jesus, you all, has set me free. Instead of holding grudges against others instead of murmuring and complaining instead of wishing life was different <laughs> and holding unforgiveness in our hearts the Bible is very clear these are Jesus' words and the people of God should not be heavy burdened with unforgiveness they shouldn't be enslaved to it because he has set them free, you all. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down the region of Judea east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came to, tr to try to trap him with a question. These religious people. <laughs> Listen, you know when you're dealing with someone religious because they always always have questions to try to trip you up and to trap you. But what does, what does Jesus say about this? What does the Bible say about it? And they don't really care. They're not, in, they're not intrigued to, to, to truly know Christ and to know the truth, that their lives would be transformed. No, they want to make a mockery of it. And so it was no different in Jesus' time. These religious men came to try to trap him. Instead of being genuinely concerned about marriage, they had no care of what was taking place with divorces that were taking place then. They didn't care. Their motive behind asking this question that we're going to read to Jesus was more so to try to trip Jesus up. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with the question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And I love Jesus' reply. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he asked, 
I'm sorry, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Listen, in our culture today, with all the debate about marriages, with all the debate about gender issues, with all the debate about sexuality and what everybody's craving, what everyone desires, we better get to this picture of of, of this scripture planted and rooted in our hearts so we know how to respond. Because this is the only answer that we need to answer those who are confused about their gender, about their sexuality, about just shacking up and pretending to be married. Jesus' answer. Haven't we read the scriptures? They record from the beginning, God made them male and female. We talked last week about sex. Like I said, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. And if you're going to teach a good sexual sex ed class, it should be taught from the Bible. God created sex, and it is pleasurable. And a husband and wife should enjoy it. But just as we saw back here when we just read about the trickery of the enemy. Oh, look, Aaron throws his staff, we'll throw our staff. Oh, he turns it to blood, we'll turn it to blood. God created sex to be enjoyed and be pleasurable between a husband and a wife. The enemy comes along and says, Now, everybody, anybody will find pleasure. And we'll just keep enticing it till it gets even more to a crazy place that we find ourselves in our generation. And then you say, oh, you're being mean. You're not being nice saying those things. Oh, I'm being nice. I had a conversation the other day. And they were saying, well, you know, Homosexuality, you know, well, you know, some this happens, so that makes someone homosexual, or they believe that they're homosexual, and all, and then people are trying to figure it out. And the reality is, is that sex is pleasurable, and when you are enslaved to perversion, no matter what gets you off, it's enjoyable. And you say, oh, we shouldn't be talking about this in church. Well, where else are you going to talk about it? People are confused about their sexuality. People are confused about their gender. People don't even know who who or what they are. And yet God created male and female. And that upsets people. Because to me, I'm I'm not recognizing that I'm a male or female, people say. Don't be swayed by the trickery of the enemy. And the movement that is escalating in our generation. They're confused. Sex was created for a man and a woman. The body of a man and a woman unite as one. A woman's body and a woman's body cannot unite as one. A man's body and a man's body, though it may look like it can light as one, but it's in reverse. (laughs) 
a man's body and a woman's body, created by God, fits perfectly. Perfectly. The two can become one. United. And it's meant in the marriage bed. You shouldn't be spreading your legs for anyone and everyone. Just because you have to feel some type of comfort and peace and I'm, I'm accepted and I'm loved. No, God loves you. Wait for the one that he has designed for you. Pray for your future husband or your future wife. Or maybe God has called you to be single. Praise God for that. But we've got to start understanding what we're dealing with here. They came to trick Jesus. And Jesus says, let's go back to the beginning. So we can just answer all the questions that you or think you're going to throw at me. Let's just go back to the beginning. This is how God created them. Male and female. And this explains a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife and two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. We ought to take marriage seriously, you all. Especially in the church. We ought to honor the covenant that a man and a woman makes before God. And we ought to encourage married couples. We ought to come alongside them and encourage them. In a generation where marriages and families are being destroyed, we are to celebrate marriage in the church and encourage married people. But there's a lot of bitter people <laughs> towards marriages because either they've had a failed marriage or they've had rough relationships and they don't even honor married couples. And that ought not be. We ought to celebrate marriage. And we ought to be praying for our married couples and encouraging them. Oh, and then they come back. Uh, well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they ask. Then Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else, I'm sorry, and, and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Wow. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, is it better not to marry? Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have, made, have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven, let anyone accept this who can. Wow. Marriage, you all. Must be honored. Must be honored. Must be honored. And for those of us who have been divorced, 
We don't have to be in shame and condemnation and killed and be beaten down. No, be healed and keep going. <laughs> keep pressing into what God has. But we ought not have a, a, a mindset towards marriage as if it means nothing. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. Let's just quit. Things are going rough, so let's just stop it. I'll go my way, you go your way. And we shouldn't just be so flippant about it. No, we ought to honor it. It's hard work. From someone who was always a runner, you know, I've told you from the beginning, some of y'all know this, Gilbert's and I's marriage from the beginning. Like after maybe a year, if that, I was like, oh, I'm done. Oh, I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want to be, I don't want to be married to her. And there were many nights I walked out of the house slamming the door. As a Christian. <laughs> Getting in my car, driving off. Having all the reasons in my head why it would be okay to divorce her. And encouraging others to be in agreement with me. Other Christians. But God. Spoke to my heart. Turn the car around and go back. I don't want to go back. God said, oh, go back. And he began to break my heart. He began to show me and the ugliness inside of me. And for the first time in my life, God has granted me such a precious gift in my wife to learn how to love and to love her through the good, through the bad, the craziness of life to look upon her with love am I perfect no but do I love my wife yes is she perfect no but the two are are one and I don't know any other wife who would put up with me and we serve well together But marriage, it's hard work. I always say to her, how long have we been married? 25, 30 years? <laughs> and she laughs. She says, no, it hasn't been that long. I said, oh, it sure does feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's work. It's work. And there's been many of times throughout the years where I'm just like, you know, we both were just exhausted. Like, okay, maybe it's just best. But then God breaks her heart and says, no. It doesn't matter what other people say or what other people think. What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. You've got to honor marriage and honor your sexuality, you all. Guard your heart. Don't give in to perversion. Don't go your way. Trust God. 
And if God has called you, like I said earlier, to be single for the rest of your life, then honor God in your singleness. Don't feel bad that you're not married or you don't have this. And don't feel bad when people try to press you. Why aren't you married? Why aren't you doing that? People have got to stop it. People should just honor where people are at in Christ. You gotta stop all of this. Like when I when I talk to Christian singles and I hear their torment because they don't have a mate, not all of them, but especially some of the people when I when I counsel or if I'm at work and I'm hearing their their struggles as being singles, and you know what the main concern is? Is they're afraid of what other people are, are, are thinking of them, or they're tired of people constantly coming up to them and asking them. Well, how's your dating life going? Leave people alone. Just encourage people to honor God right where they're at. And then let God do what God wants to do in their life. And we will all just be better off if we just do that. So I love the fact how Jesus comes and he lays out yet again to these religious people what God's purpose and plan is. Go to Psalm 23. We've talked about it before here, Psalm 23. A lot of times we, we use it at funerals. <laughs> we use it when times are hard in life. But this psalm is a warfare psalm. You should use it every day of your life, especially if you're a new Christian. Get it to where it's memorized that it's within your very heart. So as things come up, you know how to press in. It'll encourage you to keep going. (laughs) Because listen to what it says here. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. So when the enemy comes a knocking and tells you all that you're lacking, when your flesh, when you look at your bank account or you look at your bills piling up and life just seems like you have no provision coming anywhere, well, why don't you just declare, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. Who's doing it? God. When you trust him as shepherd, it doesn't mean you just sit aside and do nothing. You're not to be lazy. You'd be a good steward. And everything that he's given you. Learn how to manage what he's giving you. Learn how to honor him with your wealth, with provision that he has supplied for you. The other day I was making breakfast with my little eggs and I sat down and, and I said, Lord, thank you. I usually pray before meals, but something happened to me that morning as I was looking at my scrambled eggs. I was like, this is provision for this day. And I know I pray before meals, God, but no, no, this is provision for this day. I just want to thank you for it. Like there was a genuineness. Like I really just felt such an incredible genuineness. Like, oh God, like provision. For this day. 
He provides for us, you all. Are we truly grateful? Do we truly recognize we could be without? <laughs> Everyone sitting in here. He's provided for us today. I love the picture of he allows me to rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. And this he renews my strength. When I'm worn down, when I'm tired, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever it may be, he is the source of my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. He's our protector. He's our comforter. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And if you've been around me long enough and you've heard me preach long enough, that's one of my favorite, favorite lines in this psalm. Because to me, it doesn't make sense. Like if my enemies are surrounding me, the last thing I want to do is sit down and eat. <laughs> I don't need you preparing a meal for me, Lord. I need you to deal with my enemies. And years ago, I felt the Lord give me this beautiful picture because that used to be my question to him. And he was like, that is how I'm dealing with your enemies. Get your mind off of them and get them on me. Remember? First submit yourself to God, then resist the enemy, and he has to flee. He says, why are you worried about the enemy when I'm laying a table before you of provision? Come, come, dine with me. Come sit at the table with me. Let them howl and scratch and claw and shriek and do whatever else they want to do. But you come, my son, my daughter, and take your place at my table. In the natural, does it make sense? But in the spirit, oh, it makes perfect sense. Because there's no greater fellowship than breaking bread and dining. So this beautiful picture of this close fellowship with God, even in the presence of your enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessings. And look at how it ends. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. If you haven't started memorizing scripture, start here with this scripture. Start going through it. Because you want to get a beautiful picture of who Christ is? He's ultimately your shepherd. He's the one who is leading you. He's the one that's providing you. He's the one who's placed you on the right path to bring honor to his name. He's the one that's doing it within you. He's the one that's bringing it about. He's the one that's protecting you. He's the one that's bringing you into an eternity with him. Because look at that. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever, you all. Go to Proverbs. 
chapter 5. I know we went through these two verses, but I jumped ahead of our study. Um, so we're going to end with these two verses again, and then we'll pick up in Proverbs 6 next week. But Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Um, Proverbs 5, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, Proverbs 5, verse 22 through 23. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. An evil man, you all. Those who are enslaved to their flesh. Those who are apart from Christ. And you say, but they don't. They look like they're having a good time. They look like they're enjoying life. Oh, don't be swayed by the outward appearance. Because remember, sin is enticing and sin is fun. But it's destroying the inner man. So don't be caught up with the trickery of the enemy. Because an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. I remember the days. Being enslaved to me. I had no self-control. And I was a great fool. And the same with you. Apart from Christ, you have no self-control. And you're a great fool. And you will be lost for eternity. Lost. But you do not have to experience his wrath, you all. If you would just receive his mercy and his grace. And I want to end today with just a quick teaching on mercy and grace. And Carrie's going to have these in the notes. So I would just encourage you to go this week and kind of think upon grace and mercy. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy and grace are often confused. While the terms have similar meanings, grace and mercy are not the same. To summarize the difference, mercy is God not punishing us as our sins deserve. And grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we do not deserve it. Mercy is deliverance from judgment. Grace is extending kindness to the unworthy. According to the Bible, we all have sinned. As a result of that sin, we all deserve death and eternal judgment in the lake of fire. With that in mind, every day we live is an act of God's mercy. If God gave us all what we, we deserve, we would all be right now condemned for eternity. But in Psalms chapter 51, verse 1 and 2, David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. A plea to God for mercy is asking him to withhold the judgment we deserve and instead grant to us the forgiveness we in no way have earned. 
We deserve nothing from God. God does not owe us anything. Anything good that we experience is a result of the grace of God. Grace is simply defined as unmerited favor. God favors or gives us good things that we do not deserve and could not earn. Rescue from judgment by God's mercy. Grace is anything and everything that we receive beyond that mercy. Common grace refers to the sovereign grace which God bestows on all mankind regardless of their spiritual standing before him. While saving grace is that special dispensation of grace whereby God's sovereignty bestows unmerited divine assistance upon his elect and their regeneration and sanctification. Mercy and grace are best illustrated in the salvation that is available through Jesus Christ. You see, we deserve judgment, but if we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we receive mercy from God and we are delivered from judgment. Instead of judgment, we receive by grace salvation, forgiveness of sins, the abundant life, and an eternity in heaven, the most wonderful place imaginable. Because of the mercy and grace of God, our response should be to fall on our knees in worship and thanksgiving. Hebrews 4.16 declares, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. A loving God, you all, that extends, bestows, and puts out before us his grace and mercy. His love that endures forever. He is a just God. But as much as, he's, as much as he loves, we also see him and know him as a God of judgment. And we've talked about it here before numerous times. They go hand in hand. Wherever you see his love, you'll see his judgment. Wherever you see his judgment, you'll see his love. And in the midst of it, you all, he reveals his mercy and his grace. Will you not accept it today? Do you not celebrate him as our great deliverer? Especially as we're getting closer to Easter and we're going to celebrate his resurrection. Can we not just think upon it today and think upon him today and go from this place today encouraged to tell others of our great deliverer? Of Jesus how you've been set free and if you're sitting here today and you're not free you're not a Christian then I'm not sure what's keeping you from him because he's revealing himself to you so maybe today is the day of salvation to where you see him for who he is and you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved it's as simple as that a gracious loving God who desires to have a people who he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. Amen? Amen. I'll close this with this song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
been long ago.